0: Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we have mental health conversations with transparency. When you are finished listening to this episode, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Reviews are everything. Today, I am so excited to have on two phenomenal women who I am going to introduce to you now. First, we have Christy Pierce-Rampone, who is the most decorated American professional soccer player of all time. She has played in five FIFA Women's World Cups, winning in 1999 and 2015. In addition, she is a four-time Olympian and a three-time Olympic gold medalist. Currently, Pierce Rampone is an active speaker, coach, and sports commentator. She is a sports mom of two girls and has coached professional, high school, and club soccer teams, as well as youth basketball teams. She is the co-author of Be All In with Dr. Christine Keene who is a neuropsychologist who's been working with professional athletes, physicians, and mental health clinicians for the past 20 years. Dr. Keene is the owner, developer, and clinical director of two multi-specialty neuropsychological private practices and a clinical director of the Neuroscience Concussion Program at Hackensack Meridian Health. She is also the sports mom of two boys and a girl who play soccer, basketball, and run track. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Cheryl. I am so happy to have you on. I want to tell you before we even jump in to both of you that my very best friend from high school, I'm originally from New York, but she lives in Freehold. So I'm so, (laughs) yes. So I'm so familiar with Monmouth County and the whole area. So I feel already connected to you guys uh, without having met you. Yes. So exciting. So they're so excited that we're talking today. So I'm going to just jump into questions. Because I have so many to ask you, I love this book. And um, in the introduction of your book, uh, which is written by Abby Wambach, she talks about young athletes being under so much pressure, and the fact that kids don't need their parents coaching them; rather, they need parents helping them set their intentions on the car ride. I'm curious how parents can do that without crossing the fine line of putting
1: pressure onto their kids. Yeah, the, the car ride is all about you know putting them in a good environment, headspace before they drop them off whether to be training or a game and just having a good a good rapport with your child and giving them the confidence but also the honest feedback they need maybe going into a game whether it be a tougher opponent you know but just making sure that they rely on themselves and their attitude and effort to bring to the field to make those around them better
2: okay so kind of remind parents not to get into you know how many how many points are you going to score in this game you know, that kind of thing that we, we as parents have a pull to, to do, but to remind parents also give them a the love before they get out of the car. Uh, that, that's been um, something that Christy's talked about with her fellow athletes on the national team, some of the rituals they would have before they started playing. I'll let Christy talk about that. But all of that was about reaching out to their relatives and feeling safe before they played, not so much focused on how many points Abby was going to score.
0: Yeah. How can you create that safety? Because this particular topic I've talked about with different friends over the last couple of days and a couple of clients, you know, this comes up all the time in my private practice always. And there's everything from the parents who are like, well, I like to focus on points or touches on the ball or whatever it's going to be. Everything from that to the mom who's just like, go out there, honey, and just have fun. And then, you know, there's like one extreme or the other. And I don't feel like I have met anybody who it's really landed where like they maybe really have it down. So what are, what's like even one practical tip of a way to connect, like you were saying? Well, with first practical
2: tip, nobody's going to have it down, right? There's no way to have it down because every kid is so different. So we're never going to, we always say, right. Excellence, not perfection. So there's not going to be a way you're going to have it down, but just the awareness of for each kid.
1: Yeah. I would suggest you know, having a, more of a conversation of like, how did training go this week? And like, what's the game plan for today? And like, what is your role going to be? You know, it's kind of more so of like, making an encompassing of a team sport and like, trying to like, talk about, you know, those type of topics versus like, oh, score one for me, or like, make sure you don't let one in, As you know, if you're, your child is a defender, it's more of like, okay, what should I be looking for today? Or like, what do you, what are you looking for out of the game? And then kind of, being able to watch and observe the game by maybe what your child's goals are for that
2: game. Okay. Before I love- met Christy, I asked my daughter how many points she was going to score before each game. <laughs> so even you and had then- room to improve. Absolutely. And then I said, wow, there's other players on the field that would contribute to such an event. <laughs>
0: yeah. There's so many good stories too in the book. I was just devouring all your stories and your own experiences. And I, I learned a lot from them. So thank you for that. And I love that excellence Not perfection. Mm -hmm. So you devote the the entire first chapter to parents creating a team mission statement, and you reference that there's little evidence that preseason agreements and in-season reminders actually engender any meaningful positive changes in youth sports. So can you talk about what the difference is and how to change the culture around parent sideline behavior? And I really have to say, I want to know what you guys think about when did parent behavior start to shift in this way because. I don't remember this as a child in the '80s playing any sports at all.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Growing up as a child to start there, like my youth experience was, go out, have fun, free play. You don't, you weren't always getting judged. I went as a multiple sport athlete, so I went from basketball, soccer, field hockey, ran track. Like you just got to express yourself and have fun with your your friends and your teammates. And then I think there was a shift in the culture when it became about scholarships and, you know, preparing your child to somebody else's child and kind of that fear of the unknown. Am I putting my kid in the right environment to succeed? Am I doing everything right? And, you know, the cost of playing sports has increased, you know, so the more you pay, I feel like the more emotional parents get and the fact that they have a right to say, or feel like they have a right to say, or judge a coach or a ref or other teammates on the field. So the climate has gotten a little too emotional for my liking, you know, and I'd love to see it go back to just allowing the kids to express themselves and have their own journey through sport.
0: Yeah, that's great. It, it feels like we're really a long way away from going back. But what how mm-hmm. do you how do you do these the team mission statement? You know, like when do you feel like is a good time to introduce that notion?
1: Uh, have you seen it work successfully? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that when you're looking to put your child to sport, like being aware of the culture of the team that they're trying out for and, you know, how the, the coaches and what the, you know, the coaches intentions of developing or winning as well as the parents and just observing and making sure it's the right fit for you as a family. Because everybody has a different relationship with sports. You know, I have a different relationship with sports than both my daughter's you know, and all of it, you know, we've discussed and communicated and sometimes Mm -hmm. one is more competitive than the other, but that's okay. But just embracing, you know, where you are. And so when you enter that team, understanding that, and then maybe communicating with the other parents on the sidelines to have a team culture, a team mission statement so that you're acting and you're being good role models for the team and what the team represents. So when they wear that uniform, they can feel proud to be on that club and what, they
2: re- represents. Okay. You know, you see success when you see teams on the same page. So if they're a competitive team and everybody's on board with that. Great. But you see conflicts when you have some parents saying, hey, my daughter didn't get any playing time. And then other parents are saying, well, you got to earn playing time. So that mission statement can address those things. And, and really, we, we talk about that because, you know, in some of the um, literature that we read, Taking out one parent who's yelling at a ref or a grandparent who's yelling at a ref, talking about them or to them, that's not really solving the problem. But if we all get on the same page, you know, each team, because every team's going to have their own mission. So, you know, whether it's formal, non-formal, that, that you get together and you you come up with that. And then what's the climate on our team? Are we OK with yelling at refs? Are we OK with yelling off sides when we see that? Um, and that's going to be different on each team.
0: So what do you guys think about if somebody's, you know, sort of, I don't know, you're almost talking almost like an interview process, right? Or like this dating courting process. And they're like, yeah, we're okay with that. Yeah, we got, we're we going to let them know when they, you know, done this, that, or the other. What
2: do you think about that? I think a lot of our coaches are starting to do that already. You know, I know when Christy coaches, she you know, we say attend those parent meetings because the coaches are going to lay out for you. And that's the time where you can ask these questions. They're going to lay out for you. Are we a competitive team or is our mission to just go out there and have fun and everyone has equal playing time? And those are the things that um, you can ask the coach. You know, what what is your um, focus? Is it on development? Is it on skill development or is it on winning the championship?
0: I, I think that's a fair point. So, Dr. Keen, an, another entire chapter. Is devoted to communication. You talk about the fifty-five thirty-eight-seven formula around body language. Uh, Break down for us emotions behind body language and communication tips for parents with both their kids and coaches. Also, you have an example about your son communicating priorities as he didn't want to go to a team pasta party, and. So, twofold. The first, the body language. And the second piece is I go through this with my kids every now and again where they're like, no, I'm just so tired. I don't want to go to practice or I don't want to do that. And sometimes I really struggle. There's like two parts of my brain, I think, kind of like you lay out in the book, where part of me is like, okay, they they could use a break. And the other part of me is like, no, you made a commitment to the team. That's always like my default statement. Like, you made a commitment to a team. You're part of a team. So, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on both the body language and commitments to the team.
2: So Christy and I had so many conversations about that. We both run into that several times. So basically we we use the pasta party example because that, that was one of those things where it wasn't a mandatory pasta party, but yet one of our values as a family is if you commit to a team, you commit to all that is that team. But now we have athletes that are playing multiple sports perhaps, or you're playing on different teams. You're, you have your high school team, your club team, and then you are gonna miss... Family or friends activities with them, so they're. Of course, this is going to come up, and then we're looking at our kids and we're saying, "Wow, he's just a kid. Does he he ever get to take a break?" And in his case, he had to drive forty-five minutes to the pasta party. He'd already gone to another practice, so in that case, you know, I let that go. But I also made sure that he understood that even though I I wanted him to understand that he has to respect himself and his body in this whole process, but. You can respect yourself and your body, but you also have to understand that there will be consequences and not everyone's going to agree with that, including the coach. So he lucked out, this coach got it and he was understanding, but that's not necessarily how that's played out in other, um, on other teams with other coaches and there's consequences. And then, you know, obviously, so I think part of the learning experience for him was that, yep, you could take a break and you can respect your body, but there are also going to be consequences. And that's part of being a team. So following it up with that teaching, because he, he did need to take a break. I thought so he thought so. Um, but then there are other times where I say, absolutely, get in the car, got to go, this is mandatory, you're part of the team. Um, but But we're always going to struggle with that, because, you know, th- they might be missing a sleepover. And you know, they're going to have fun there. And you want childhood to be about fun and joy and uh, being with their friends too. So it's always going to be this balance. And that's why we really wanted to include that in the book. And, um, you know, what you were saying before about body language, we we thought that was really important because that conveys so much and that that often gets missed. If you think about your child on, on, the, uh, on the bench and is your child fooling around? Are they upset that they're not getting into the game? A lot of times kids want to get back so bad into the game that they look mad. Or they may look disinterested. They might be fooling around with other teammates. The coach looks over and says, "You know, Sally's not ready to get back into the game. She's fooling around." Or, "Oh, she looks mad." We included that chapter so parents can teach their kids how powerful body language is. Because if you're on the edge of your seat, you know your head's up. You're looking at the game. You look interested. That's the kid Christy wants to pull onto the field. But the kid who looks angry, not showing good sportsmanship, coaches notice that, but a lot of kids don't realize. So so that on the field behavior and even the off the field behavior, what do you look like when you walk off or are you included in the huddle? Are you part of that? Are you talking? Or do you look disinterested? And then even off, off the field behaviors, you know, what do you look like on social media? What is your body language there? Your our kids are, they're telling us things. So we definitely wanted to include that in, in all ranges in, in a child's life because it, it really can send a powerful message that way. And then even to your opponents, you know, Christy talks a lot about, the the biggest one I learned from Christy was hands on hips, sign of weakness. My daughter came home and said, no more hands on hips, mom, sign of weakness. Christy said so. So none of, no power pose there when you're on the field. Uh, so Christy teaches the kids a lot about that because you can change the energy of the game and you can really uh, you know, make an impact on your opponents that way when you're aware of that and how powerful it is.
0: Let, let me go back to something you said that um, I think is really important to, to go back to, which is you said even their social media presence. What does their body language say on social media? So mm-hmm. at what level do you feel like it is appropriate for coaches to be looking through their players' social media or even containing like a social media clause within the contract of joining a certain team? I think it goes it goes along
1: when you join a team. That's your, your culture and your environment and how you conduct yourself off the field. is part of still being on a team. And you know, I don't think coaches necessarily have to follow their athletes, but just knowing that it could be seen, whatever you put down and whatever, whenever you hit send and you post it's you, whatever you put out there, the whole world should be able to, to be able to see. And it should be something that's respectful to yourself as well as the team. Cause if not, it, it will turn into turmoil and conflict. And it's something that you don't want with amongst your team.
0: I think it's important for people to hear you guys saying that because parents, I think for the most part, try to reinforce that into, you know, adolescence and they just don't feel that. But I think I haven't heard that message really coming from a coach per se. I think if coaches and other people that are important to them and what they view as important are saying that as well, it could have a really powerful impact. So do you have that as part of any of the teams that you've coached? Do you share that with your athletes?
1: Yeah. I would say like, You know, who you are will come out through your character, whether you post it or you're on the field, like it always gets back to the coach. Like there's it's just like a parent. As a parent says to your child, you can never really, truly hide from your parent. It always circles back. And I will find out. And it's the same thing for coaching. You know, it always circles back. And, you know, you just want to make sure they're making good choices and presenting themselves because they do want a future in sports. Those college coaches will be looking at their social media. That's a big part of the recruitment process is making sure that person is also, you know, in their, in the culture of the team that they want them um, to be included in. And that's all encompassing and have that early discussion with your child to realize whatever they text, whatever they say, whatever they post is who truth who is their character and it's who they are. And it, it will haunt them if it's, if it goes down a bad path.
0: Yeah. So important. I'm so glad you said that. Before we go on, can you can you share with parents what the 55-38-7 formula is?
2: So, it's 55%, it's 55 47, so they're basically saying 93% of what we're doing is nonverbal, and that's really the message. I mean, that was Albert Mehrabian, um his uh theory on on uh, body language and how important it is but when we repeat the research, it really comes up that this larger percentage of how we communicate is through body language. We do a lot of talking about, um, like an only 7% verbal. So we do a lot of talk. mail or you text. You know, we're losing that, you know, there's no body language there. So that's why there's so much miscommunication. So teaching, you know, teaching our kids that as well, included that uh, percentage point in there.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think it's so important. And, uh, sometimes you don't hear that unless you're older, I feel like. So teaching kids yeah, a lot of these things, right? When they're
1: younger, I feel like is so important. Yeah. And then just teaching how their body language affects a team culture or maybe certain moments in a game. And that it's, it's, we also talk about um, the ripple effect in the book of like how your actions start to turn into how the team may respond, whether positive or negative and they're saying, you know, body language is contagious, energy is contagious, to show that you're even battling through some tough moments, like your team will back you and get help you get through that. And you don't even have to say a word. You could really see when someone's tense, when someone's scared, when someone's like backing off and, you know, or a team that's communicates a lot, that's powerful, you know, and the fact that like, they feel like they're one strong bonded team and they're in it together, whether it's a good time or a bad time. So those are, Differently cues parents can read. I mean, you can tell everything. It it paints the picture. You know, you write the script of like, if you could really sit back and just evaluate your own individual child and how they interact with their teammates, the coach, the ref, you know, how they present themselves walking up to a field. Are they in the outside of the huddle? Are they inside of the huddle? How they deal with someone that's more vocal on the team? Like you can really um, get a good landscape of how your child is dealing
2: with sport. It really helps you to become more mindful of it because as parents, we get caught up in the game and then you're questioning your line of question is about the game. And so many times we are ignoring all of that um, great information. Our kids are giving to us about how they feel when they walk off the walk off the field.
0: Yeah. I know as a parent, I struggle. There are times, I'm thinking of my one daughter who's a gymnast and I struggle because the higher in the level she gets, I see fear and I see nervousness. And it's that fine balance of, I'm reading your body language. You do look scared, but there's also, which will go into the next part of what I'm going to ask you, which is about mental toughness. And there's that part of me that's like, come on, I want you to be mentally tough. I want you to visualize yourself that you can do this. Your coach wouldn't have you do this if they didn't think you would. So I know for me, I find it to be a tough balance because I probably am so aware to read body language, but then I have my own ideas about how they need to be grittier and tougher. So can you talk about mental toughness? Because I feel like there seem to be some kids that are inherently maybe a little bit more inclined to be mentally tough than others. And can you actually teach it?
1: I agree with some, it definitely is natural and others, it's a process. And I do believe it's a choice of kind of always pushing through those tough times. But I think it starts with that inner voice and that communication you personally have with yourself as an athlete and trying to help change that negative to a positive all the time because you can self-talk yourself out of something. And you can basically say you're not good enough or the fear of the competition, like your daughter as a gymnast, I'm all alone up here on the beam, like how am I going to get through this? You know, if you can teach her to, uh, to control that inner voice and let her know that she can control it, and it's okay that negative thoughts come through. That's, that's normal as an athlete. You're always going to feel the pressure and the anxiety, but you can change the narrative of your inner voice by saying, no, yes, I can do this. I can, I can. Like, this is only going to be 30 seconds. I practice all week. You can have that inner dialogue with yourself, and that's, I think, what can help with that that mental toughness and pushing and persevering. Those tough
2: times. And also, as a parent, understanding that your voice be, can become their voice. All the stakeholders in a child's life, those voices, that's, what, that's how we develop our inner voice. So, so many times parents want to like mentally tough at their kids. So, come on, suck it up you're being a big baby and they're thinking that that's the way they're going to help them be mentally tough or or they lose their patience. But so what Christy's talking about, like, how do you develop that inner voice? What are the things that you repeatedly say to your child? Because they're internalizing these things. So obviously we, and we definitely cover this in the book. We're not talking about telling your kids that they're the greatest one on the team when they're absolutely not. We're talking about some realistic messages, um, ways to, um, reword or reframe things in a positive light that makes sense and, and is believable to the child so they can develop that self-efficacy and feel like, I can deal with a loss. I can deal with failure. I can get back up and do this. So So your narrative shifts to that kind of talking, not to the suck it up. You got this. Don't be a baby. That kind of thing.
0: Yes. I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to be vulnerable and tell you something, a message that I say to my kids and I or or really my son who plays football, but when they lose, right. And sometimes after soccer, but mostly football, sometimes like in a tournament, the other boys will cry and he doesn't cry. So I look at him now. I'm very sensitive to raising boys. I have two boys, you know, that they can be emotional. But when we get in the car, I'll say, you don't want to cry. you like, you don't want to cry. Do you like, do you feel like crying? And he's like, no, and then i find that balance of like i want to reinforce him like yeah we we don't need to cry after a loss but then i also feel that balance of like oh but but it's okay if you do and so i find myself being really torn some I mean, of these kids get really oh in basketball tournaments too it seems tournaments get a lot of emotion going and um i kind of feel proud for him that he doesn't i mean these kids are breaking down and and i don't want to judge that but so anyway, I'm being honest with you around a situation for me that I think, you know, other parents go through probably on the flip side, like my kid's crying after the loss of a tournament. How do I handle that? So either end, do you guys have thoughts or advice around how to best support your child?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would kind of compare it to, obviously mean, in the when you get back into the locker room, like on the field, you try not to show your emotion, you respect the game, you shake hands, you know, yeah, you're upset, but you're allowed to let those emotions fly in the locker room, right? And then... When you leave the locker room, your your emotions have to be out of you. You know, it's okay to express those emotions, and I equate that just to the car ride home. Let them be emotional, let them let it out, just be there to listen and support, no need to continue the conversation, but then let them know hey, this is a transitional period. So when you get out of this car, the game is gonna be left on the field. You got your emotions in the car, and now we need to move on. You know, and, and then they'll understand like it's okay to have those emotions, but it's what you do afterwards is really key and how you respond to it. So that's why I say if you want to discuss the game, that's in the later part when the emotion is all out of your child as, as well as a lot of the parent too. Because like anything, we see something, they see something, we want to hash it out in the car and get into it. And your child's really not listening. They have, they're too emotional about the game. So that's the transitional moment I say just to let it out and then discuss it maybe later at dinner. You know, when you want to like talk about it, where you actually can think and absorb and digest what happened and not be so emotional.
0: I love that. So what you're saying is you're playing a game. You're really into it, whether it's tears, maybe it's anger, whatever the high emotion is, it's there. Allow it to just come out and then give them
2: some boundary around it. Right. Like we said, give them time to heal from the field. A lot of parents jump right in there. You know, you'd have to also follow it with, with the crying. You know, Christy teaches composure on the field, then the emotional expression. So there's some learning there. And then if there's a lot of emotional expression, then you gotta dig into, you know, what's going on here. Because sometimes that might be a sign that maybe they are hyper focused on their sport or their identity is wrapped up into the wins or 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 the losses. Um, so there might be something there to take a look at too, if if it's excessive.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's great. Great guidance for me and hopefully for a lot of my listeners. We ha- we You have a, uh, a section around get your head in the game. Talk about what you mean by that and why it's critical to being a parent of an athlete. Also talk about how that helps with athlete accountability, which I thought was an amazing chapter because this is where I see things go awry. Um, and a lot of my clients, parents feel that they're accountable, but don't hold their kids accountable to things like being prepared or being responsible when they're getting ready to go to practices and games.
2: So, okay. So that was a lot. We're, we're talking about accountability and getting your head in the game. Yes. Um, so two things like right off the bat, I'd say accountability helps our kids feel safe. A lot of times parents take care of so much for their kids, so much of their team. I know when Christy coaches, she really tries to give kids an opportunity to be accountable for their, their sporting equipment, their time, um, the practices, their transportation, uh, so it is really important, we both believe, to hold kids accountable and sports are fertile ground to help them have things to be, you know, appropriately accountable for. Get Your Head in the Game came from, you know, we wrote the car ride home. So we were, the, the original chapter of Get Your Head in the Game was actually the car ride there. Um, and that's mm-hmm. all about like, so I'm sure as a sports parent, you have been through the um, the mill of Kids have food hanging out of their mouth. One person has a cleat. Everybody's being shoved in the car. Is homework done? Not sure. Maybe you're frantic. People are being dropped off in all kinds of moods. Um, And then Christy says, "Who's this athlete you just dropped off to me? Are they frenzied? Are they happy? Are they excited to be there?" We talk about, you know, when when you can set up what that looks like before they get to a game or get to a practice. Obviously, that's going to influence how they play and how they perform and whether they can focus. So for, for parents to look at you know, how is their sleep, how is their nutrition, what do we talk about on the way there, the power of music before you, you get to a game. So we address all of those things because that really has a, a pretty large influence on how they play. And we all want our kids to play well and be successful. So that's a big part of, of that process that often gets overlooked and overlooked because we have so many games and practices to get to.
1: It was one of the first conversations that I have with my athletes before a game is like, okay, did your times tell you that what rank this team is? Like did they tell you how good this team is. And nine, nine times out of 10, it's always like, yeah. And you can see them stressed. I'm like, all right, let it out. Like you're ready. You're prepared. We're going to be the best team we could be out there. It's competition. You know, I'm just realistic. Like, yes, they're very good. And you're going to have to play as a team in order to like build to success. And, you just having those honest because they just hear what the parents are saying and then they panic when they come to the field and they're already scared. And I always tell them, like, nerves are good. I always let the athletes know, like, nerves mean you care. Like, it's, it should be a good feeling, you know, and, and pull from those nerves and go out. But as soon as that whistle blows, you're not getting any better right now. You're just out there to entertain your parents. Like, go have fun. Worry about, you know, don't worry about the mistakes. That's what I'll work on during the week. Or just go enjoy yourself because there's so much that they're here and there's so many distractions that can affect them and how they play and it's just letting them let loose of all that stuff and remember why they're there just reset and then go play. I, and that's what we're trying to help you know parents and coaches throughout this book to say like just be aware of what you're getting and like read that body language your athletes coming out of the car and just how can you help them be as confident as they can be for that game
0: today. Yeah, I think you make a really good point too that, um, I mean, I feel like the the majority of the book is around, you know, parents, uh, parenting their their young athletes the best they can, but there are a lot of great tips for coaches. So I'm going to end with the question that I really want to ask you guys what your thoughts are on. Do you think that everyone does get a medal? Does the whole participation medal thing resonate with you? What are your positions on this? And again, when did this become a thing?
1: I mean, I don't want to speak for Dr. King, but we also, I think we both feel that medals are earned and they shouldn't just be handed to you for just participating. And it's not really teaching our children the right path to success because it's something that you have to earn. You have to have, you know, goals in mind, whether it's, you know, from the process goal to the outcome goal, and then if you're just handing something over, the expectation is, is that they can be successful in anything that they, anything they participate in and that they should be rewarded for that. And it goes into the entitlement stage a little bit when you're constantly being handed um, positive invitations for maybe not working hard or putting in a good effort. Um, it discredits everything that we need to do in life in, in order to earn our next chapter.
2: Well said. so in the, in the literature there's support for both the handing out a medal to everyone who showed up and the and basically what Christy was just talking about and of course her and I have had a lot of discussions about this and we do um agree on that I do think it is important for kids to have that sense of success so I think there's that balance so I don't expect my daughter to show up and and get a medal when she didn't win the championship or didn't, you know, didn't do her job on the field or, but I'm going to set her up in situations where I know she'll succeed and be able to experience that throughout her life. So there are some places where she's going to strive and maybe fail. And then there are other places in her during her childhood that she's going to get a medal for participating or, so I I think having a, a varied experience, like, I'm not going to take my daughter and put her on a soccer team that I know she will have no playing time and no chance on that field. I want her on a soccer team where she's actually going to play so she can have a chance at success. If that's what, you know, if that makes sense, not so much it's a participation medal, but like let's be realistic and, and set our kids up for success and for the fails. We talk a lot about this. The failures are just as important in terms of their development and learning. So I think, some parents are afraid to let that happen. We, say it, we see it with the parents we both work with. You know, they're trying to kind of mow down problems before they happen. We see the whole helicopter parent thing that's been written about ad nauseum. Um, and that's because we're afraid to let them fail. And, and then so we, we really try to give some practical advice about how you teach your child the importance of that. And that is that, you know, we keep handing them trophies. They'll be, you know, terrified of failing because they're, you know, they're so used to. Uh, winning all the time, or we're setting themselves up in kind of an artificial environment.
0: Yeah, and that's what I see. Uh, in some ways, the primary role of sports uh, for all kids, not just great athletes, but for all kids is to learn real life lessons on the field. And if we manipulate what happens either on the field or after the game too much, then it's not replicating life. And it's not teaching the lessons that I think are, are right there on, you know, available to them in any sport.
2: You know, I think there's enough experiences out there in life that you could get both like you could, you know, work hard and you'll earn a badge in Girl Scouts and, you know, you can orchestrate that by buying a ton of cookies and they'll get their badge and they'll feel good. But then you can also um, play on a soccer team that didn't win and experience that, too. So I think there's a lot of organic experiences parents can look for that kind of encompass both. Great point. Um,
0: We've been talking today with Dr. Christine Keen and Christy Pierce-Rampone about Be All In, Raising Kids for Success in Sports and Life. This is a great parenting book. It's a great life book. It's definitely a great book for coaches and parents of young athletes. And I want to say that there are so many more topics that are really important that we didn't even cover today, which are things like authenticity and confidence, performance anxiety, concussion, injury, performance accelerators, early specialization. There's, I really could have had another uh, half hour or so to just cover even more. So I encourage everyone to go out and read the book or maybe buy it for somebody who could use it. (laughs) and um i have just loved having you guys on it's an honor and a pleasure and i wish you all the best with this book thank you thank you
1: cheryl appreciate
0: it thank you for listening to this episode of my PodCouch. please rate and review this episode and share with anyone who you think would benefit from it to stay connected please subscribe episodes are released every two weeks